your word and just draw near to you. Lord, I ask that you bless the time that we do have together. I ask that you will give me the words to speak and that you will be honored and glorified today. And I ask it in your son's holy name and Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Well, good morning. A lot of change happening, huh? New mics, new music, a little bit of a different setup in here. So hopefully it's not too overwhelming. Um, I've always been grateful for being able to come and share the word with you all um, and to see your familiar faces uh, and know that, and truly know that each one of you is seeking after our Lord and Savior. Um, it's heartening and, and I always am grateful for these times that we get to spend together. Um, hopefully you're getting adjusted with the Bible reading plan that we are working through. Uh, and if you are following along or if you have started to read ahead, you'll know that we are in First Thessalonians. Uh, last week, Mark uh, met with you all and preached through chapter 1. Uh, I'm primarily going to preach on chapter 2 today. Um, so if you do have your Bibles with you or you do have an electronic device that you usually use as your Bible, feel free to turn there now. Again, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we will go ahead and read it. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, <clears throat> nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we, could have, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as, the, as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, 
We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Let's pray once more. Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you that we're able to gather together. We do thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you give us the ability to draw near to you in reading it and hearing it. Um, and it's such a blessing to be able to, to draw near to you in that way. Lord, again, I just ask that you bless this time, uh, bless, bless this, uh, the words that come out of my mouth, that they will glorify and honor you, Lord God. I ask it in his, his name, your son's holy name, Jesus Christ's holy name, I pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question that's it's probably going to sound completely unrelated to the passage, <laughs> but as I move forward, you'll kind of understand uh, why I'm asking it. I'm not expecting an answer, obviously. It's kind of a rhetorical question. But what is a good reputation? When you hear that term, there are probably different thoughts that pop to your mind what a good reputation is. How do we decide what is and is not a good, quote-unquote, good reputation? When you're looking for someone to do maybe a repair on your house, like a plumber or someone of that nature, you most likely try to find out if they have a good reputation. If you are looking for an auto mechanic, you probably want to know if they have a, what we would consider a good reputation. Or better yet, if you are going to seek uh, medical advice and you're going to go see a doctor, you probably want to know, do they have a good reputation? <clears throat> I ask you this because if you remember from last week's passage, we would assume that the Thessalonian church had a good reputation. At the end of chapter 1, Paul wrote, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So it would seem from Paul's remarks here, that the church of Thessalonica had a, or the church in Thessalonica had a good reputation. But that would be from Paul's perspective, and most likely from our perspective too. However, there were many that viewed Christians, the Christians in Thessalonica as a problem. After all, they had turned from the idols that they worshipped. Their family, their friends, relative, well, family, relatives, friends, co-workers, still worshipped these idols. And these family and friends that they knew now see them turning away from these idols. And what are they turning toward? They're turning toward this gospel that this man Paul was preaching. You see, in those days, it wasn't odd for orators, orators, not quite sure you properly pronounce that word, but professional speakers or even uh, different philosophers to come into the city. Thessalonica was a huge city. It was... It was a trading hub. There were ports there, so there were often ships coming and going. 
Um, and there were also these men, these philosophers, that would come into the city and that would promote various philosophies. Um, it may seem odd to us now because we have various, many forms of entertainment, right? Um, but back then, it wasn't that way. So when there was a man that would speak and had some charisma, people would want to listen. So it wasn't odd for this to happen. Often these individuals were seeking after uh, followers to, d to gain wealth and prestige, and Paul knew this. Paul knew that this was a practice that was ongoing. He was keenly aware of it. And that's probably why he felt like he needed to explain himself in chapter 2 of this letter. He says, For you, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. That is without purpose. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. What Paul is referring to here can be read about in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. When Paul and Silas were accused of disturbing the city of Philippi, they were beaten with rods and thrown into prison. But despite the beating and imprisonment, they made their way to Thessalonica with a purpose. And the purpose was to declare the gospel of God, which is pretty bold. But that type of boldness is only available through God. You see, when, they, when Paul and Silas were beaten, they were also shamefully treated, which means they were uh, given a bad name. They were kind of drugged through the mud. So when they left there, and they were on their way to Thessalonica, you can probably assume that they probably had their tails tucked between their legs a little bit. They had suffered the physical abuse. They had suffered the mental abuse. And now they're coming to declare the gospel to those in Thessalonia. It would take some boldness. And, we, and as it says again, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. The boldness in our God. Again, it's God that drives this boldness. I sometimes think, I know that when I was a uh, young believer, it was a little easier for me for some reason to be bold in my faith and to step out in faith. And so when I was trying to think of some examples to give you as far as what boldness would look like in our day, because let's face it, we're not facing uh, physical persecution right now. We're not facing violent persecution as our brothers and sisters did back then. So it's a little different. But I think you, you probably can tell as well as I can as, as the trade winds shift within our country and elsewhere that the Christian gospel, the gospel of our Lord and Savior, is not well, well received. And so there's often times where people in my life have spoken up. And they were in times that it didn't seem like it would be that difficult. But it's becoming more that way. My dad, I've, I've shared with you all before with my dad that he uh, got baptized. It's probably been about a year and a half, two years ago now. But I have uh, three brothers from my dad. And... Um, the middle one, got married this past year. And we went, when we went to the, to the service, uh, they asked if I would do the blessing. 
and I was honored to do so. Um, but I, I kind of also knew that um, I was going to be one of the few believers or one of the few followers of Christ that would be attending, although I also didn't know the number of people that were going to be attending. Um, so when I walked in the, the front door of the service, uh, or of the, where the service was going to be and where the reception was going to be, it was all in one, I instantaneously got nervous. And I know some of you are probably thinking, that's crazy, all you're doing is giving the blessing, right? And I, I take, um, I don't know what you want to call it, like great care when someone asks me to do that because I'm calling upon the Lord and even if I know those people currently, like my brother and my sister-in-law, even if I know that they currently may not be following Christ, I still want to ask God into their life and into their marriage to work. And not only that, to bring them to him, but also to work within their marriage. So I, t- I, take, I take great um, care in the words that I'm going to select when I've done that, when I do this. I've been asked by one of my other brothers as well in the past. But as soon as I walked in and I saw all of these people, I knew instantaneously I was in the minority. <clears throat> and you may ask, how do I know that? You will know them by their fruits. I know that's difficult sometimes for us to grasp and to fully understand, but um, there's times where there's a worldly element to things that you know that, like, you're one of the few, right? You see, I'm sure some of you have been there where you've walked into a situation and you've quickly recognized that you were probably one of the few that attempt to genuinely follow our Lord and Savior. So anyways, I instantaneously got nervous and I see all these people and I don't know, like, I probably didn't know personally 90 plus percent of the people there. There was some of my family there that I hadn't seen or that I've only seen once in the last like 10, 15 years. And so I had a general idea of those individuals who go to church, who go to church just on holidays, you know, that whole thing. And so I almost felt a little bit of shame because I felt so um, concerned about it and so stressed. So I didn't know this, but they had asked my dad if he would say a few words before I got up there to do the blessing. And so my dad gets up there, and I cannot remember the specific words that he said. But what I do know is that he, at that point in time, asked the audience, a couple hundred people at least, to draw near to God and to know him. Out of, like, that was... In addition, he had just thanked everybody, like, thank you for coming. You know, the typical dad (laughs) lines after he's either the father of the groom or the bride, like the typical, like, thank you for coming and all your support and blah, blah, blah. You know, they always say that. It's like a rite of passage for the dad, right? We got to do that. I'll I'll have to do it someday. Well, we'll see, but most likely. Um, And so he adds that in there. He adds the gospel. And instantaneously, I I felt humbled. And I thought to myself, like, what boldness in my dad right now? Because I'm sure he knows as well as I knew it wasn't going to be well accepted. Now, nobody was going to go up and beat him like Paul had received, but there's instantaneous judgment. You can see people rolling their eyes and 
and that whole thing and people checking out because it's the gospel. And I thought, how bold of my dad. One other example before we move on. Uh, my wife's aunt, so her cousin, also got married this week. Yes, or this year. Yes, we've been. It's that time. It was that time of year, right? You're going to all these weddings, good times. Um, pretty certain, just from some different things, that there there is some aggression towards the gospel. Um, with some individuals that were there. And God was not mentioned the entire time. And they asked um, the mom if she wanted to say any words at the service. And she did. And she battled with this um, because she knew she was going to be the only one that was going to speak our Lord and Savior's name on that day. And sure... Sure, she did. She got up there, and again, a couple hundred people, and she's standing before those people, and she's reading from the Word of God, and she's proclaiming the gospel. Boldness. Boldness. And so when Paul here is telling the Thessalonians that they came in boldness of God, it's something that we as believers today need to tap into the boldness that can only come from him. The boldness that came to them was in the midst of much conflict. Paul goes on to explain that the, re the reason why he came was with pure motives. He wasn't coming to cause issue. He wasn't coming to enrich himself. You see, in, in verse 3, he goes on, he says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He wasn't like one of these orators or one of these public speakers that would come in that just wanted to draw an audience and they wanted to deceive these people and they wanted to enrich themselves. That's, that's not why he was coming in. And, and then they also had, they had Jews that were against them that were telling, telling people that they were in error and what they were preaching was lies. And so Paul addresses that here. And I think part of the reason that Paul starts to address this, why Paul is telling the Thessalonians what his motives were for coming, was to give them assurance of their reputation. Because their reputation as I asked before, what is a good reputation? was not founded by the people that now lived among them. It wasn't, <laughs> their reputation was no longer subject to their the non-believing family members, friends, and co-workers. Because now they had a reputation to uphold, which wasn't just their own. But their reputation came from Christ. And I think sometimes we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time thinking that that's something that we have to find a way to maintain. And so Paul here again is coming to give them hope. To lift them back up. To let them know, I've been distant. Paul had to leave. He was gone. 
But what you heard from us was not in error. It was not impure. It was not his attempt to deceive them. He goes on in verse 4 to say, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. They could have used their authority, but he he emphasizes here, it was nothing about him. It wasn't about Paul. That wasn't why he came. He came because he was approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. He wasn't there for impure reasons. He wasn't there to deceive. He wasn't there for words of flattery, to puff up people, to convince them to give him money, which is why there was no pretext for greed. He came because God entrusted him with the gospel. He had pure motives. So he goes on to, again, describe how he was among them. And in verse 7, he says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul uses familial, familial language often. And you'll see this. Here he uses a nursing mother. Here in a moment we'll talk about how he uses a father. And over and over again, and in the book of Thessalonians, the term brother, the term sibling, because it could also mean brothers and sisters, that term is used more often in the book of, in the first, in the letter, the first Thessalonians, the letter, you know what I'm saying, more than any other book in the Bible. More than any other book in the Bible. So he uses this familial language, right? You're my brother, you're my sister, you're my sibling, right? I came to, we came to you like a mother, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, affectionately desirous of you, desirous of you. I think I've been blessed with a little boy. We've been blessed with a little boy. He is going on 15, 16 months old, something like that now. Used to drive me crazy when I was growing up and people would count their children's age in months. So he's what, about a year and a half, getting close, right? <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was told that I needed to emphasize this portion of the scripture because um, my wife was able to nurse our child, right? And so when he uses this language, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, affectionately desires of you. There are many things I've, my, my wife's in the medical field. There, were, there are many things I learned about nursing. You know what's amazing is that antibodies that the mother has within her can be transferred to the child through her nursing. It's an amazing thing to watch. So she's nurturing my son there were times where he'd get 
a little bit of an illness or something, and he would be nurtured in this way for a full day, and it's like a miracle drug. God intended that, clearly, right? It's beautiful. So Paul uses this imagery like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Affectionately, we were affectionately desirous of you. How intimate that relationship is. How trusting that relationship is. That little baby knows nothing different than the embrace of its mother. So Paul goes on to say at the end of verse 8, that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So what does that mean? That they share not only the gospel, but their own selves. It's intimate. It's a close relationship. I think oftentimes when we hear of intimacy, we often think of husband and wife relationships. But there is an element of intimacy that we have with God. There's also an element of intimacy and fellowship that we should have with fellow believers. And that's what's Paul, that's, that is what Paul is discussing here. Paul, Paul is setting an example and saying that we, we, we drew near to you. We, became, we were in fellowship with you. We were, we were as close to you as family. And this resonates, resonates with those folks. Because as we talked about earlier, they're turning away from this idolatrous worship to the Lord and Savior. They're abandoning or separating from some blood relatives. So where is their family? And Paul says here, We are your family. I don't think we often see that in churches today. One of the things that I uh, enjoy about this church is that when the service is over, you all gather together for the most part, and you guys just talk and talk and talk. And it's a beautiful thing. I would assume I'm not involved in every conversation. I don't need to be. (laughs) But I would assume you're sharing a lot of things that are going on in your life. Day-to-day things. And that's important. I remember when I decided to follow the Lord. Well, I guess, however that works, right? (laughs) He called me and then, you know, when that all happened, right? I remember thinking, I might, there might be some family members that I, I lose over this. Like I, I had that conscious thought, and part of that was because I was leaving a certain denomination, which I think I've discussed with you all before, but I won't get into that too much. But part of that was I, was I was leaving a certain denomination, and in reality, I didn't even know what denomination I was going through. I just knew I was going after Jesus, and I knew that when I sat in two church services back-to-back in the old denomination, that it wasn't it. And that was just... It's not going to, but anyways, but I knew consciously, like it might cause a rift. And I actually had, I had some relatives that, I don't want to say avoided speaking to me altogether, but it was uncomfortable when I was around them. As time's progressed and time has moved on, that, that has dwindled, but 
But we look for family, and I think, and, I, and actually I even remember telling someone when I was leaving my, I, I was so ingrained in my church family back then. I would love to have this again. I was so, not that I'm, I mean, anyways, it's just a thing. I was so ingrained in my church family back then. I remember Easter service had ended. And, I, and like you guys, you gather around, you're sharing each other's lives. We're doing that. And I was thinking, I got to, and not anything against my, my blood family. I love them. But I thought to myself, I'm leaving them to go, and I'd rather stay here with my brothers and sisters in Christ than I would go there. So when Paul's speaking to the Thessalonians, again, giving them some sense of assurance, one way in which he's doing that is he is, he is reaffirming them. He's telling them why he came, and part of that is to be family. In verse 11, he talks about the father. He says about kind of taking on that role, like a pseudo role of the father. He says, you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. His focus now here shifts a little bit. He talks about his expectation for them. And and this expectation for them is to walk in a manner worthy of God. Why? Because he, God, calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And who encouraged this? Who, who was the one that urged this? Urged the Thessalonians to walk in that, manage, in that manner, to encourage them to walk in that manner, to charge them, to insist them, to require them, to walk in a manner worthy of God. It was Paul. And he uses that imagery of the Father and I think of that in my own life. I, now, this is so young, but there are, there are ways, and, and for those of you that are parents, you know that there are ways that we, we shape and we urge and we encourage and we charge our children with specific behaviors, right? We try to mold them in a way. And ultimately... As scripture tells us, we want to bring them up in the Lord. That's, that's been a focus of mine lately. Is it? We, I, I want to bring Naz up in the ways of the Lord. And what does that mean? I mean, I, I, does that mean reading to scripture to him? When he's so young right now, he doesn't even understand it, but at least those words are being spoken to him. So Paul urges like a father. He encourages like a father. He charges, meaning he insists, requires like a father for the Thessalonians to walk in a manner worthy of God. There's a Christian ethic. Sometimes we can 
verbalize what that looks like. I think oftentimes we miss it as much as we make it. And thank God that we have him to lean upon. But that's what Paul is talking about here, that they would align with that Christian ethic, that they would lead a life worthy of God. And again, he did this. He, he, did this. he, he took on that role as the father with them. And again, this is a way of him to encourage them and help them to remember why he came. In verse, 13, in verse 13, it says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I think Paul emphasizing this reiterating this with the Thessalonians who he has now been away from in person. He wants them to remember why they're in the position that they are. Why they have the good reputation (laughs) that just reaches out to other believers why the other believers in Macedonia and Achaia look to them, look to these, this church as an example. Because they knew that the word of God that they received was not from man. It was not from Paul. It came through Paul, but it wasn't from Paul. It was the word of God. In verse 14, he goes on to say, For you, brothers, become imitators of the churches. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. You became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus. You suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. It's an interesting thing. An identity marker of the early churches was suffering. Again, I, I don't know that I can emphasize enough that we're in a fortune. We've been in a fortunate position for some time here in the United States. And I may sound as though I'm trying to put on a prophet's hat, which is not my intent. But as I've said before, it, it seems that that may change. What's an amazing thing is it, it, uh, it filters the church. It um, sifts the church. Um, which is a hard thing to grasp sometimes. It, it is an identifier of the true church. There is aggression towards Christ. There is aggression towards the mes- message of the gospel. And it's here that Paul points the Thessalonians and letting them 
know that we know what you're going through. You know, I often think of churches, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Chinese underground church or that you're even aware that there are churches in places like Iran and Iraq. Places where people will literally be murdered and killed for their, for their faith. It's a... Uh, if you ever just allow yourself to soak in that for a moment and you, and you kind of recognize our brothers and sisters that are suffering as Christ did, and we are told that is part of it, right? That we will suffer. When Christ meets Paul on the road and he's asking him, why are you persecuting my church? He asked Paul over and over again. And he, one of the things Christ says is that I have to show Paul how much he's going to suffer for me. It is an identifier. It is a marker. And here, Paul was reiterating to the Thessalonian church that they are brothers and sisters and they are going through it. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are the glory, for you are our glory and joy. The, the Thessalonians, there was such a movement within the church of Thessalonia that Satan stood against it. Satan himself. I mean, Paul is telling us here, I, I have longed to come see you. I have longed to make it back. But Satan has made a barrier and he's not allowing it. But I want to come see you. And I, verse 19 and verse 20 for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Over and over again throughout this, God, throughout this, this book, throughout this letter to the Thessalonians, you'll see, you'll see a trend. You'll see that Paul continually tells them, Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. It's almost the folks that decided where the chapters were going to be divided and the verses and all that kind of stuff, if you, it's almost at the end of every chapter almost that you see him telling them Christ is coming. For assurance, right? They know. He knows. Christ is coming. What is the hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy will have before the Lord Jesus. Because we don't boast in ourselves, right? But their boast, their boast is this church 
that will be with them, with him, when he comes. I don't know that there's a greater gift than to know that someone that we've interacted with, whether it be a friend or a family member or a coworker, has come to Christ and know that we will see them in the kingdom. It especially resonates, I think, well, you know, it probably resonates for different people in different ways. But that's one thing that with my dad that just resonates. Because I know if he would leave this earth tomorrow, I'll see him again. And I don't know the part I played in his convert, er, that whole system I'm trying to work through, by the way. So that's why I'm kind of hesitant to kind of tell you how it all works, because I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but what I do know is, if you'd have told me four or five years ago, the Lord was going to work in my dad's life, and he would be where he is now, I wouldn't have believed you. And believe me, I bought him books and CDs, and for Christmas, he was always getting something from me. I don't know how much of an influence that had. But if it did have an influence, what a greater crown of glory than the crown of those who go to see him because of you. Be bold. Be bold, church. We got limited time. We have a reputation to develop and to uphold, to be a church, not for us, not for us, but for our Lord and Savior. Be bold. Speak to friends that you wouldn't normally speak to about the gospel. Preach the gospel to work the gospel into conversations. I, I, we're not all preachers. I, I don't even know if I'm a preacher, but I'm standing up here before you, right? But that doesn't mean that you can't share the gospel. No matter what your position in life, you can share the gospel with friends, you can share the gospel with coworkers. I know sometimes it can be uncomfortable. I'm working through that myself. I got people that I see on a day-to-day -day basis and I have never mentioned once to them my Lord and Savior. Why? He's coming. He's coming. And we'll be held accountable for that. I'm sure of it. So be bold, church. Let's build up a reputation like the Thessalonians. One that will go 
spread wide and far. And one that doesn't say, look at those individuals in that church, but they say, look at the faith of that church. Look at the Lord and Savior move. That's the reputation we want. And when you need assurance, sometimes you just got to remember where it all started. And that's kind of what Paul did for them, for the Thessalonians. He just remind, he's reminding them. You know, I was, meaning Paul, he was, he was the method through which the gospel came. But it's not because of him. It's because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you for today. I, uh, Lord, I just hope that the words that you had me speak today are, are the words that may resonate. Lord God, let us be the the mother, the nursing mother, the encouraging father, the, the brother or sister that can just come along and encourage and, and maybe be the ones that <laughs> when we get to heaven we'll have such joy Because we'll get to celebrate those folks standing beside us with you and be with you forever. Lord, I just ask that you will uh, continue to draw near to everyone here. Lord, I will just ask that they will continue to draw near to you. Uh, Lord, when we have those times of lack of faith, or lack of understanding, Lord. Just let us cling on with every ounce that we have. Let us hold on to you with everything that is in us in hopes that, in the hope, and then in the promise that you're coming. Lord, I ask it in your son's holy name. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. One more song. If you want to stand with me and sing. Wonderful, merciful song.